Before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about a free three-act worksheet to help you structure your story. Whether you're a plotter or a pantser, a novelist or short fiction writer, this three-act worksheet will help you navigate your material and even begin each new story with a better plan. Download yours at nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. Stop getting stuck in the middle of your draft. Go grab this free worksheet, nancypinuccio.com forward slash act. These words have movement. He activates objects. He activates the women. They're not just these attractive women in white dresses. And this reminds me of something that Francois Moriac once said, I don't observe and I don't describe. I rediscover. Writer Unleashed is for you, a writer who has a story you want to bring onto the page and into the hearts and minds of readers. I'm Nancy Pinuccio, writer, editor, and writing coach. And each week, we'll explore techniques, mindsets, and inspiration for writing stories readers can't put down. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's begin. Description can enrich your story. It brings layers of atmosphere and believability that makes the reader feel fully dropped inside your story. Now, sometimes writers assume that because they must create a world for the reader to inhabit, that the only way to do that is to include lots of detail that characterizes the real world or the world that they imagine on the page. But how much description is the right amount? You may be writing fantasy or a historical novel, for example, where the setting is unfamiliar or foreign to the reader. So description is necessary, but when does it become overwhelming? Because when we're writing our first drafts, it feels like we're selecting from an almost endless range of possibilities. But too much description can bog your readers down and make them confused about what's relevant what they should pay attention to, and what's merely ornamental. So if you don't select what goes into your description, it will strike the reader as arbitrary or gratuitous. So the question is, what goes into your descriptions and what stays out? What's the criteria? In this episode, I'm going to give you four criteria to help you write spellbinding descriptions that create vivid impressions in your reader's mind. So let's get right to it. Often I see stories overloaded with too much descriptive detail. The writers include all these details simply because the people or objects would in real life be there in a given situation. Often the descriptions are abstract or they're inert. The words are very general, like beautiful, attractive, big, ugly, small, boring, etc. Now, general words describe 
poorly. And abstract descriptions often don't describe at all. At best, they just impart information or they're dull exposition. I like what David Madden says. He says, effective description doesn't report. If it's effective, it recreates. Effective description recreates. It doesn't report. So conventional descriptions of characters and landscapes and settings, houses and rooms, for example, are often very abstract and inert. Often descriptions don't feel connected to the immediate context of a scene or the overall context of the story. Effective descriptions are relevant to the story. Now, sometimes we'll get a cluster of descriptions. So the writer will cluster descriptions of a character or place. Sometimes writers will describe a character when they're first introducing them, or they'll give us a description of place, and it will go on for several long paragraphs, sometimes for pages. The description is delivered in one long chunk of narrative. Now, you can break this long description up. You can get a series of related images going and then place them strategically in a pattern throughout your story. If, for example, we first meet a character and she's described as being attractive or restless, or he's described as being wealthy or elegantly dressed, well, we need to see the proof of that throughout the story. Description is not portraiture. It's active. It's intimately connected to your story's tone, theme, and point of view. Description is all about imbuing the mood, the tone, and the nature of what you're describing, the essence of what you're describing. So here are four criteria to help you revise your descriptions in a way that mesmerizes your reader. Number one, point of view. Point of view determines the way you describe things. You want to make sure that the description is anchored in the character's consciousness, their mood, the way he or she experiences what he or she is observing. Now, this is sometimes easier or it feels more natural when you're writing from first person, but you can describe through character viewpoint in first person or third. Third person describes for the reader, but even when the character is off stage, the description should still feel relevant and resonant to the character's journey throughout the story. For example, in Revolutionary Road, there's a description of the Knox building where the protagonist, Frank, works. The third-person narrator is describing the building when it was first built before Frank was born. So he's off stage. He's way off stage while the third-person narrator describes the building. It's objective. It's not filtered through Frank's experience, but it's relevant within the context of the novel. So it's not a gratuitous description. It's still pretty much anchored in the overall theme of the story. 
But third person can also be subjective. It can tell us what the character sees and how he or she responds to what he or she sees. So we see the world filtered through character, personality, and viewpoint. The character or the narrator will deliberately choose in order what they want us to see, what she wants to tell us. William lit his pipe and unlaced his boots. Esther slipped on her nightgown and got into a large brass bedstead without curtains. On the chest of drawers, Esther had placed the books her mother had given her, and William had hung some sporting prints on the walls. Now, we're not getting the whole room. We're just getting the part of it that she's seeing from her perspective as she gets into bed. So description is derived from the mood of the narrator. It may be melancholy or tragic. It might be lyrical or ironic. It might be fearful or belligerent. But the best descriptions are colored by the narrator's mood, by the character's mood. Okay, on to criteria number two, physical perspective. This is the physical point of view. It's the time of day. It's the season. It's the spatial range. Is the viewer close or far away? Where is your character spatially as he or she is observing what's being described? Near the end of the first chapter of The Great Gatsby, F. Scott Fitzgerald gives a description of the setting in which Nick, our narrator, gets a glimpse of Gatsby for the very first time. When I reached my estate at West Egg, I ran the car under its shed and sat for a while on an abandoned grass roller in the yard. The wind had blown off, leaving a loud, bright night with wings beating in the trees and a persistent organ sound as the full bellows of the earth blew the frogs full of life. The silhouette of a moving cat wavered across the moonlight, and turning my head to watch it, I saw that I was not alone. Fifty feet away, a figure had emerged from the shadow of my neighbor's mansion and was standing with his hands in his pockets regarding the silver pepper of the stars. Something in his leisurely movements and the secure position of his feet upon the lawn suggested that it was Mr. Gatsby himself come out to determine What share was his of our local heavens? So Nick's description reflects every aspect of his physical point of view on the setting. So we get the time. It's night. It's summer. We get the spatial range moving back and forth. It goes from far away to close up. And we get Nick's senses, the sound of the frogs and the touch of the grass under his feet and the iron roller he sits on. We see the objects he sees and we see the image of Gatsby in that context. Okay, on to number three, create images. You want 
active description. You don't want anything that's inert or sluggish. You want vivid and captivating description. So to do that, you need to create images. So you want to activate your description. You want to take something ordinary, like a room, and use language to reinvent it. Let's go back to The Great Gatsby. Fitzgerald writes about the first time Nick Carraway sees Daisy and her friend Jordan. Now, I'm going to give you two versions. I'm going to water it down first. So I'm going to give you a hypothetical first draft description, and then I'll give you the published version. So here's the hypothetical first draft description. I stood on the threshold, dazzled by the alabaster light and the two attractive young women in white dresses who sat on an enormous couch in the middle of the large room. I could feel a nice breeze. There were white curtains over the open windows and a wine-colored rug on the floor. On the wall was a landscape painting of some sort. Tom joined me, and we walked into the room. Okay, so it's a hypothetical first draft description. It's functional, it describes, but it's a dead description. It doesn't create images. The women are described in very general terms. Young women in white dresses. The couch is enormous. The curtains are white. The windows are open. The rug is wine-colored. There's a painting on the wall. It describes but it doesn't create images. It's not active. Okay, compare that to this published version. The windows were ajar and gleaming white against the fresh grass outside that seemed to grow a little way into the house. A breeze blew through the room, blue curtains in at one end and out the other like pale flags twisting them up toward the frosted wedding cake of the ceiling, and then rippled over the wine-colored rug, making a shadow on it as wind does on the sea. The only completely stationary object in the room was an enormous couch on which two young women were buoyed up as though upon an anchored balloon. They were both in white, and their dresses were rippling and fluttering as if they had just been blown back after a short flight around the house. I must have stood for a few moments listening to the whip and snap of the curtains and the groan of a picture on the wall. Then there was a boom as Tom Buchanan shut the windows and the caught wind died out about the room and the curtains and the rugs and the two young women ballooned slowly to the floor. Wow, right? It's gorgeous. These words have movement. He activates objects. He activates the women. They're not just these attractive women in white dresses. And this reminds me of something that Francois Moriac once said, I don't observe and I don't describe. I rediscover. I don't observe, and I don't describe. I rediscover. This description is 
mesmerizing because he captures the beauty and the youth and the money and the wealth and the privilege. He never uses those general words. All of that is imbued in the descriptive details. So he doesn't just describe, he makes us experience what it looks and feels like to be in that resplendent, glamorous room by the sea. The house feels alive, just like the two women he's describing. It's his perspective, it's active, and it creates images. It's just gorgeous. Okay, criteria number four, activate your reader's senses. The most effective descriptions are concrete and specific. As Aristotle said, there is nothing in the intellect that is not first in the senses. There is nothing in the intellect that is not first in the senses. Description is not a still life. A great description activates the reader's senses. Colors, textures, shapes, contrasts, smells. Here's the way Raymond Chandler describes the greenhouse where a very rich client is waiting for him. So here's the literal version. This is just a very functional description. The air steamed, the walls and ceiling of the glass house dripped. In the half light, enormous tropical plants spread their blooms and branches all over the place. And the smell of them was almost as overpowering as the smell of boiling alcohol. These are very well-chosen details, right? They appeal to our senses, but here's his revised version or his later published version of the greenhouse. The air was thick, wet, steamy, and laced with the cloying smell of tropical orchids in bloom. The glass walls and roof were heavily misted, and big drops of moisture splashed down on the plants. The light had an unreal greenish color, like light filtered through an aquarium tank. The plants filled the place, a forest of them, with nasty, meaty leaves and stalks like the newly washed fingers of dead men. They smelled as overpowering as boiling alcohol under a blanket. So to activate your reader's senses, you want to engage your character's senses. You want to be specific. For example, not just ballet slippers, but pink satin toe shoes. Not just pants, but faded velveteen culottes. The more concrete and specific you can be, the more sensory images you'll create for your reader. And your reader will be mesmerized. We respond physically by sensory detail. This is what gives a story a sense of life and immediacy. It's what brings your story to life and makes it believable. It's what makes it feel true. Okay, let's recap. We talked about not overloading descriptive details. You want to be selective. And a great way to do that is to revise your descriptions using these four criteria. Number one, you want to anchor it in character point of view. That's mood and subjective perspective. Number two, 
physical perspective. Where is your character spatially to what he or she is observing? When is he or she observing it? Number three, create images. Use active language to invigorate your description. And number four, activate your reader's senses. You can do this by engaging your character senses. The bottom line is you never want to describe something just for the sake of describing it. Your description should be accomplishing multiple things at once. Now, this takes time. It takes revision over and over to get it right. But a great description can take something as ordinary as a living room by the sea and make it extraordinary and unforgettable to the reader. So there you have it. Thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you know any writers who need some support in their writing, please share this episode or the Writer Unleashed podcast in general. And if you love what you're listening to, subscribe on your favorite listening platform and please leave me a review. Reading how this podcast impacts your writing truly lights me up and helps me create topics for the show. Till next time, keep writing and I'll talk to you soon.